This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You Show with Edo Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Good morning and welcome to the Healthy You, Wealthy Show. I'm Edel Kosilski and welcome Faggy. Faggy's not with me today. I'm feeling very forlorn that she's not by my side, but she is smiling at me too. <laughs> Edel, I'm sure you'll manage there without me. You'll do great. Don't worry. <laughs> Very bereft, Faggy, very bereft. Talking about feeling bereft and abandoned, today we're going to actually discuss a very, very interesting subject, and that is the subject of attachment. Um, we are going to be talking about different attachment styles, what they are, why they matter, how to nurture secure attachment, and how it can benefit us to know what our attachment style is. And hopefully, we hope that by the end of the show, we will even leave you with a better understanding of your own attachment style. There is a lot of talk about it um, in the world today. And we have two professionals that we've had on before. We love having them on. We have Tovi. She is a counseling psychologist seeking individ- uh, uh, seeing individual clients and couples in Psych Central in Johannesburg. And she is very passionate about our early life attachments. Tovi has studied parent-infant psychotherapy and dedicates time in her busy schedule to the non-profit organization Ubebele, where she supports new mothers on their journey to motherhood. And Tobi, as you will see, wholeheartedly believes that the early attachments and relationships in our lives shape much of our future. And by exploring our past, we can journey to restore and repair parts of ourselves to walk towards optimum mental health. And then we have Esther Hecht. She's a social emotional learning coach for parents and educators. She's a conscious discipline practitioner and runs workshops on conscious and connected parenting. And with the 10 years in education and is director of the Santon Hebrew Club. Um, she's also the director of professional development at Chabad of Santon Nursery School. Esther is definitely passionate about helping parents and educators develop social emotional skills within themselves foremost and in turn teach these skills to their children and students. So without further ado, good morning, Toba, and good morning, Esther. Hi, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. I'm super excited, and I think that I posted on our, our pre-recording chat that I was actually listening to somebody else in America that was talking about attachment. It's it's chatted about a lot. I know a, a wee little bit about it, but I think that let's kick off for our listeners, uh, Tova, by explaining what is attachment theory. So I feel so excited to be talking about this. I feel so passionate about attachment. I've studied it in my master's and in my honors thesis, and it's just something that I think is starting to inform so much about how we understand the world. But if we start at the very, very beginning of that attachment, it's an inherent system that we are all born with. And the way I like to think about it is that the, our attachment system is always on and active. It's almost as if, you know, we're on the radio now, and it's this idea of, you know, um, you switch on your radio, and it's picking up all the signals. It's trying to pick up, you know, the right radio station. That's actually the way that we're born and come into the world, wanting to seek proximity and I'm going to just say parents, caregivers, mother, all interchangeably. But the point is that we have this inherent system wanting to create proximity with this person and connection to this person. And the reason why it's so fundamental is actually very basic. Out of all the animals in the animal kingdom, the human child is the most vulnerable and the most needy of its 
primary caregivers in order for food, shelter, warmth, think about all the basic needs that we come into the world with. So it starts off as a very primary need, getting close to this person who's going to meet all our needs. And at the same time, you know, which I know, I know Esther feels so passionately about and wants to jump in and also talk about, but at the time in which we're busy trying to create this connection with these people who are going to be looking after us, our brain is also busy wiring about what is safe and making templates for the future around what do we expect. So I think that the attachment concept just very basically is this, think of this newborn baby who's going to create closeness with this primary caregiver in order to manage being in the world. And one of the just very basic physiological parts of a baby coming into the world that I find so fascinating is that a baby is able to see 23 centimeters away. And 23 centimeters away is actually the distance between, um, let's just say, a mother or parent cradling a baby from, from the baby's eyes to the mother's eyes. Now, if it was only about food, it would be the distance that the baby would need to see perhaps the mother's breast. But this is actually eye contact. It's the 23 centimeters distance, which is what a baby's born being able to see. So can you give us different attachment styles? For sure. So I think that's where the world is, um, like everyone's getting very excited about it. And I was even thinking, Adel, when you first began saying to Faggy, uh, you know, but anxious without you. And I was thinking, well, you know, maybe Adel has an att- anxious attachment style to Faggy and Faggy's got a bit of an avoidance. She's saying, Adel, you're going to be okay. But I wasn't analyzing your attachment styles at all. <laughs> we'll come for couple therapy one day. <laughs> if very simply, attachment styles are ba- um, divided into secure and insecure, and insecure has its own categories. But secure attachment is really this, the way that this was actually studied was Mary Ainsworth. So John Bowlby um, was created this, I would say, discovered this um, idea of attachment because um, psychology along the Freudian route was, was really about much more desires and defenses and less about um, the parent, the mother-baby experience. And then Mary Ainsworth came and did this stranger experiment, which really was a mother and a child came into a room with a stranger. Um, there were some toys and they would play in the room for a little bit. The researcher like, would observe and catalog what was happening when the mother left the room and then when the mother returned. And that which I think is a, is another radio show about the fact that just the separation and then how the mother came back, that was where they were actually measuring. But the way that the baby responded, um, the way that the little toddler responded to the mother when she returned into the room was how they were able to define these different types of attachment. So secure was the child who may have shown some distress when the mother left the room, but went to the mother um, went towards the mother when she came back in the room and was quite easily comforted by the mother. Uh, the mother reassured the child, and then the child was able to carry on and explore. And then the other three categories all fall under an insecure attachment. And so an anxious one within that category is an anxious attachment, and the anxious attachment was really where the child, the mother came back, the child showed quite a lot of distress, and the mother wasn't really able to calm the, the child down. The child kept needing the mother to reassure that maybe she wasn't going to leave, but there was definitely a sense of anxiety 
the next type of attachment style is avoidant. And interestingly, avoidant at that time showed indifference. Almost they ignored their mother entirely, kept on playing by themselves. And later on, it was originally thought to be indifferent, but later on when they added physiological measures in, these children actually showed high levels of distress internally, but weren't actually showing it outwardly. And then there's a last one, which is really disorganized attachment. And that doesn't have, we, we don't focus on that as much just because it really is quite a confusing kind of attachment. It has bits of anxious and avoidant and often comes from a place where a child is quite fearful of the parent. But that almost sums up the different styles of attachment. Uh, basically, you have attachment and where it's secure and where you're feeling safe and you're feeling, you know, that you can connect to the person. And then you have all sorts of, I could use aberrant behavior where you are either avoiding or, or getting into an anxious state because you are feeling, you know, uh, disconnected. I think I have a healthy attachment to Faggy. I just love to be involved. This is 101.9. Hi, FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're talking to Toby Steiner and Esther Hecht. We're talking on the subject of attachment, and I'm I'm completely fascinated by it and trying to be like really cognizant even in my life what it does, how I behave rather when I am in the presence of different people and how I, I get triggered. But as we all know, um, a lot of the attachment comes from childhood. So Esther, maybe speak to us. How do we cultivate secure attachments in, in, in childhood? So I think that from the moment that a child is born, from the moment a baby is born, they constantly asking, is my experience real? So when a baby is crying and we pick them up and start shoo-shooing them and I'm here with you and regulating them, in this responsiveness from us, they are hearing my experience is real. And as this child grows older, as we all grow older, we continue to ask this question. We're constantly evaluating, is this thing, is this part of me? Is what I'm experiencing met with closeness or with distance? So like what Toby was saying, our primary need, which really trumps all other needs because we need it in order to get our needs fulfilled, is proximity. So I learn what am I allowed to show that gets proximity. If this thing, this feeling, this reaction that I'm showing takes me away from being close to my caregivers, I learn to shut that part down. So kids, all of us, when we are children, are constantly drawing attachment lessons all the time. So I want to just give you a an example that we can call to mind. So let's say your child is, you take your child to a swimming party. I know in this cold weather, we can't imagine it. But let's say you take your child to a swimming party with their class. And as you're getting in, you see your child hesitating to go swim. And they're saying they're not sure if they want to swim today. They're not sure if they want to go to the party. Um, they don't want to join in. So there's two responses we can have to this. We can say to them, you know what, stop being ridiculous. These are all your friends. You love swimming. You know, they're getting the feeling from us that you're completely embarrassing me, whether we say that or not. And we start saying all of these things, you know, to, in, with the best intentions to try and encourage them, but not really listening to what they're hesitant about. And the attachment lesson that's being learned here is that I'm not allowed to feel unsure. I'm not allowed to be hesitant about things. I'm not allowed to scope things out until I'm ready. So my parent, my caregiver has created distance in this moment through shame and judgment. Even, like I said, even if it's with the best intention, but what the child learns in that moment is that this part of me is not attachable to you. 
And so years later, they don't necessarily remember the specific situation, but they learn this part is not lovable. Whereas we can have a second response, right? Going down to your child when they're unsure about going swimming at the party and saying something about today's swimming party doesn't feel right, right? That's okay. You'll know when you're ready because you're the only one in your body and you'll know when you're ready to swim. And the attachment lesson in this moment that is learned is that the part of me that's unsure, the part of me that takes in data before I jump in, that part gets closeness and acceptance. So I think what's important to mention is, is that an attachment style isn't formed through one event as a baby, but rather a pattern that is formed over years in our childhood when a child is constantly getting these messages over and over again. So now let's take that child from the party, the swimming party when they're three or four years old, and now fast forward to when they're a teenager and there's a 16th birthday and there's alcohol and maybe drugs and kids hooking up and your child has a hesitation. Now, what do they remember? Do I shut that feeling down or can I trust this feeling? So they might not remember the swimming party, but they remember that the energy that was sent their way when they were hesitant. And I think what's also so important to note is that because a pattern is formed, we can actually really repair these moments. So even when your kids are older, if you are, you know, recognizing that when they're a bit older, they're unsure about things or maybe forming an anxious or avoidant attachment style, you can totally go back to those moments and say, there were times that I didn't let you trust yourself. And maybe even say, I remember at that swimming party when you were a kid. And so like what Toby said, the Mary Ainsworth study was all about what happened when the parent came back, when the mom came back, because it's really about that moment of repair. It's the coming back that makes all the difference. What the research shows is that even if a parent is misaligned 70% of the time, that's okay. As long as you come back and repair, love looks like rupture and repair. And this is in secure relationships as well. The repair is really everything. It allows us to go back to that original memory and then reshape it. Because obviously you can't change the event. But that memory, that feeling of feeling unsure, of hesitant, just in this example, is now reshaped in a different way so that I can access it from a healthier place. So you might be thinking as a parent, but what's the use of bringing it up? They don't remember it. Maybe it's going to be upsetting if I bring it up. But I would actually encourage, yes, bring it up. Add a new energy around it. Add a new idea about it. Say to them, it was my thing. I wasn't comfortable with you feeling hesitant. That was totally me. It was nothing about you. So kids probably won't bring it up, right? So you need to bring it up. And I think there's really a huge opportunity in this. So going back to your questions, how do we nurture secure relationships? So when the adult responds to a child, especially in the times of distress, in an attuned way, then the child forms a secure attachment style. Yeah, go ahead with your question. Where do you draw the line in early childhood where it doesn't matter how present you are and how encouraging you are and how attached you're trying to be, the child exhibits anxiety? Is is there a difference? Like, do, do you know when you're going to say, I'm trying to be attached, I'm trying to be secure, I'm trying to be present, but my kid has other issues also that it doesn't matter how much I'm there for them, you know, they're kind of like are demanding it. Is there a distinction between the two? Because I feel like as a mother, probably I would become anxious that if I'm there all the time, you know, Jewish mothers, we want to be there and we want to do the right thing. And, we, you know, we're overcompensating and, and the kid's not not reacting to that attachment. I think the other major thing is that every child is so different. So your attachment mm. to mm. every child has to be different Absolutely. because their reactions are different. So you're, you have to kind of mm. change based on your child. So I would agree 100% that every child is different. And I think it would be important to know that some part of in, in this conversation that 
this is obviously nuanced and not so black and white and our different attachment styles show up differently in different relationships. But I think, like I often say to parents and teachers, it's not so much the behavior of the child in the moment. It's really about your behavior, how you're showing up for them. And especially like Adele, when you're saying when a child is anxious, so how do we respond to them in those moments? I personally don't think you can show too much love. I personally don't think you can overcompensate. Mm. I think like Toby said, our template on what to expect from our future relationship is made in those moments. So when they come to us with their anxiety, when they come to us with being unsure, when they come to us with their big feelings and we are able to respond in an attuned way and say your experience is real, that's what they later learn to expect from all their relationships, that people trust me, that people can love me, that all of these parts of me are attachable. I wouldn't be so concerned that you're overcompensating and you're you're going to cause your child to rely on people or not be, you know, self-sufficient. I think the more that we can tell them that I trust you, the more that they'll actually learn their own self-trust. Follow through into adulthood. So, Toby, like, how would that, like, relate to a husband and wife or to any adult relationship? Yeah, I mean, as a, as a, as a, you know, just... A caveat, and I think what Esther's saying is that, you know, I think we live in this world where we do want to like make sense of everything. So then it's like, okay, so I'm securely attached. So now what does this mean? Okay. So I'm anxiously attached. Okay. What does this mean? Like, as Esther said, I think it is more nuanced. And I also think what's so important, like you're saying, is that this comes up so differently in, in different relationships. I think that for the most part, we could say, um, within adult romantic relationships, I do think that your, your core attachment style will be triggered. And it will be quite obvious, I think, you know, when I see couples in the room um, where it's, it's manifesting here. It doesn't mean that if this is their attachment style within this adult romantic relationship, they don't have family members or they don't have friends who, you know, I guess elicit a different kind of attachment style, maybe a healthier or less healthier in different kinds of relationships. But I think really what you can see with secure attachment, and I think, Adel, it also connects to what you are asking, is that there's actually that someone who is securely attached actually grew up with lots of love and lots of support and actually consistently responsive caregivers. That's the the clue. And what happens as adults is that they're actually interdependent. They they connect they connect in a healthy, mutually beneficial way. They're okay with connection and they're okay on their own. Um they can think flexibly. They're comfortable with differences. They'll talk about like if a couple comes in and one partner will talk about the partner and they'll talk about you know, but, but I understand that my partner has all these different parts. That would be much more of someone who has like a secure attachment because they're also able to like compartmentalize a little bit more. They're able to differentiate. And someone with a secure attachment, which I think is so important, is that they're actually able to internalize love in a very real way. Someone with anxious attachment. So anxious attachment is that, that there's a sense of anxiety about having their needs met. And I think if you keep picturing that Mary Ainsworth study of the mother that leaves the room and, and comes back in and the child doesn't get soothed, that child grew up in an environment where for the most part, and back to what Esther was saying, it's not that th- th- this was 100% responsiveness, but for the most part, the template that, because our brains at that point are developing at such a rapid rate because if I see as a small toddler a cat, I need to know now whenever I see another cat, I don't have to learn that that's a cat. If I look out and I see a tree or I see something outside in my world, my brain now has to know that's what this thing is. I don't have to keep relearning it every time. And our brains prune away the parts that we don't need. So in this time where we're interacting with our parent, which I can't stress this enough, it's such an important point. At the same time, that's the time where our brains 
are busy learning our templates. They're busy pruning away things we don't need. So at that time, I'm busy learning how to attach to this other person, but I'm also learning all the templates I'm going to understand. So back to the anxious attachment. Um, parents may have loved this child, but there was almost like maybe a distractedness and there was something that they felt. And I'll, I'll say this again. They felt that there was unpredictable. So again, the parents might turn around and say, we did our best and you thought we were being so lovable or who knows what was going on. There may have been personal things going on and they have had very stressful jobs. They may have had, you know, personal events going on in their lives. And so they had a sense of giving their child their, the very best, but maybe the child had a sense of they experienced it as inconsistent, which is also what you said, Faiki. You know, we have different relationships with our different children and also based on their own temperament. But let's just say the anxious attached child grows up into an anxiously attached adult who's quite hypervigilant. They're watching for any time in which this person may or may not be there. And we could kind of say that their attachment system is in overdrive. It's almost like they're picking up every single signal, which may or may not have even been what the person was sending out to them. And this kind of person actually needs lots of reassurance in relationships. Interestingly and unsurprisingly, they are attached. They are often attracted to a much more avoidant kind of personality. And you'll see this, and this is very gender stereotypical, and it's not always this way. But let's say, for example, you know, you'll have um, a, a woman in in a couple in a in a in a heterosexual couple, and she'll be saying something like, "She kind of has to like maximize her feelings," and she'll be saying, "But it is a big deal, and this is really how I felt." And she'll be like, "He will be responding like, I don't know why she's making such a big deal about this." And sometimes that will be the hint for the avoidant and the anxious because the avoidantly attached person they kind of keep intimacy at arm's length. But there's a reason for it. And the reason why they did it was somewhere along the way, they felt they needed to diminish the importance of their attachment. Maybe they were left alone a bit. Maybe they experienced their parents as rejecting of them. So what they did was they put the brakes on their attachment. So the anxiously attached is overanalyzing everything, whereas the avoidant is like, okay, I'm just going to myself a step back so that I don't put too much, too many eggs in our basket and then I get disappointed. But if we go back to the study, those children still had very high stress levels. And so the work in therapy is often to get actually the avoidant person to realize that because they put intimacy, connection, closeness at arm's length in order to protect themselves, it doesn't mean that they don't want to. It's just they're disconnected with that one. And the anxiously attached person, we'd say something more along the lines of the signals that they keep picking up on, we would work quite hard on. Can you self-soothe? Can you find connection and closeness to yourself in a way that keeps you feeling secure and grounded so that you're not always, you know, checking out, is this person sending me the right signal all the time? And that's why it's not a hopeless situation at all. I think it's really about if you have that understanding, could you then do things differently? Interesting what Robbie's saying about the anxious attachment. Also, I think the child who grows up when their adult in their life is responding in, a, in an inconsistent way. So they're sometimes attuned and sometimes not. So this also forms an anxious attachment. And like you were saying with the hypervigilance, a child who grows up like this forms this hypervigilant. They are very aware of their adult mental state, particularly anger, right? So, and, and when you're hypervigilant like that, what does that do to the child? It inhibits your exploration. It inhibits you thriving in a playful environment. So what does this child look like? They learn to cling. They learn to whine. They learn to demand attention mm -hmm. and connection. Why? Why are they doing this? Because they're trying desperately 
to recapture those attuned moments that come and go with no predictable pattern, right? So that is why they're constantly like, they're looking for it because I, I want to grab it just in case it's going to come back in these, in these moments. So often we say when, when you say a child is, is attention seeking, they're not actually connect, uh, attention seeking. They're really connection seeking. Very interesting. Like I was going to ask this question and I think, to, uh, uh, Tova, you, you, you touched on it a little bit. Okay. So say, I, I think the majority of us have grown up anxious or, or avoidant or whatever have you. I think, you know, this entire theory runs against Dr. Spock. You know, children should be seen, not heard, and go do as they want to do. And, you know, a lot of us grew up in that environment. And what I wanted to ask you was then, and I kind of like push the button here and say that when we come into adulthood, would it not be better instead of, I mean, I mean, we need to understand our relationships, right? And we probably are going to invite, if you say you're anxious, you're going to have an avoidant and you get picked up there, but learn to heal yourself and attach yourself. Like there's a, there's a much deeper level to attachment and that is reattaching to yourself. And I think you touched the word when you said self-soothing and perhaps I'm, I'm just throwing it out there. That means self-respect. You know, self, 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 just understanding oneself and giving oneself the ability to say, I am something and I belong and, and kind of like doing it for yourself as opposed to like going out in the world and saying, well, I'm anxious, you're, you're avoided and geez, this is just a, this is just a mess. Can you talk a little bit to, about that? Absolutely. I think that the, the whole idea is if you know yourself, like if you understand yourself, then from that place, like insight is not going to cure anything of the things that we struggle with, but it's a place to start. So if I know that I'm anxiously or avoidantly attached, you know, it's not even now going on the other extreme at all. It's more about, like you're saying, Adel, something around, can you connect to a deeper part of yourself? But I need to kind of first know that. Why when this person um, my partner, my friend, my sister wants to spend time with me, why do I feel like it's never enough time? Or why do I feel suffocated by the thought of it? And less about then saying to the other person, you need to change. More about an understanding, okay, this would make sense to me. I often feel very suffocated in relationships. Relationships feel overwhelming for me. So then what could I do differently? And that could even look like as simply as if you're meeting someone for a coffee date, say, I only have an hour. And then, you know, so that concept starts with the insight. Then what do I do? And like you're saying, I think also fill the spaces. Like you don't want to get to a point where now you've gone to the other extreme, where now the avoidance become anxious or the anxious become avoidant. It is something about how do you move more to the middle? And again, the securely attached person is, can, has a, has an interdependence, has a healthy way of connecting with people, has a way to give and has a, a way to receive. And so that we talk about it as the ideal, but it really is like a, a healthy way of being in the world. This is we are talking to Tobasana and Esther Heft. We are talking about attachment. How, how do you see your life and um, how do you see yourself attached? Well, you're going to just hang on and we're going to talk about understanding your attachment style just after this break. This is 101.9 Hi FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adel Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Welcome back. We're talking to Esther Hecht and Tova Steiner. And um, maybe, Esther, can we talk about the benefits of understanding your attachment style? Sure. So we were just speaking about insight and awareness. 
So like Trovi was saying, they're not the cure, but I do think that awareness is the biggest change agent and insight is really the foundation for change. And I think that when we begin to understand our attachment styles, especially when we're struggling in a relationship, we move away from blame because I think automatically when we're struggling, we look towards blame, right? Um, so when we can understand what style am I, what style is my partner, we move away from the blame and we move more towards understanding. And again, to empathy, both for ourselves and for the other person, nothing's wrong with me. Nothing's wrong with them. I wasn't a bad kid. They weren't a bad kid. The maladaptive qualities that we have in our adult relationships were really genius adaptions I took on as a child to feel safe in my world, right? And one of my favorite quotes by Esther Perel, the psychotherapist in New York, is that quality of our relationships is the quality of our lives. And I think that I really, really believe this, that by understanding our attachment styles, this is one way that we can improve on our relationships so that our relationships can be life-giving, that they can be beautiful, that they can transform us in the most healing ways. I didn't want to say the word trauma, but when you were talking before yeah. about, you know, um, reconnecting with ourselves, really what is trauma? Trauma, as we understand it today, is a disconnect from who we are, a disconnect from myself. And relationships can heal this, can heal these emotional traumas. And I think like what Toby was saying before, even if we have a more anxious or avoidant insecure style of relating, it's not hopeless because we can all move towards having more secure relationships. So with the understanding that I am, you know, wired more for anxious or avoidant, then I can move towards having a secure relationship. And this can be revolutionary. And like I said before, obviously it's nuanced and obviously it's not so black and white and we can have different attachment styles with different people. You know, there may be anxious or avoidant styles that you've always exhibited and now with one person, you're, you know, forming a secure relationship and you're still, you know, you think you might be hypocritical and why am I still showing up like this? Because it is nuanced and that's where it's helpful to have a therapist, um, you know, to talk these things through. But I think what is helpful to remember is that we are hardwired for secure attachment and deep down we are all designed for intimacy, connection, awareness, love, attunement and I think that's why we adapt to make ourselves feel safe when we don't have these things because we are so hardwired for them. And um, I think if we truly believe that we have it within us, we can work towards this um, in all our relationships. So just like a, a practical piece that I would say in if you like where to even start right now with if whether it's in a romantic relationship or someone or a friend or a child, I think that the road to attachment is attunement, right? So really, what is attunement? Attunement is when we can completely tune into the inner world of someone else, right? And we all know this feeling. Most of us have had this experience of being completely seen and heard and held by a person on a deep level. And this deep connected um, sense of being understood is so profound that it can transform us it can tra transform the other person and can really transform the relationship. So I think just start it with attunement because this is really the, the road to attachment. I think if, if, I, if I might say you need to be attuned with yourself, you first need to understand yourself so deeply because when you're trying to be there for somebody else and you're in the, in the wrong space, you're going to be projecting your anxiety or your avoidance or your trauma or your thing onto them. And that's when you, you can't be for the other person. So Yes. So I actually didn't say this before, but one of the, the acronyms that we learn in Conscious Discipline, which is my training, is, is ROADMAP, which is R-O-A-D, the Roadmap to Nurture Secure Relationship. And 
The R stands for responding consistently to the infant or toddler's distress. The O is, which is what we're saying right now, is organizing ourselves first, calming ourselves first, checking in with ourselves first as the adult, because the adult who is acting as a secure base for the child needs to be regulated first before they can offer that attunement and security and emotional regulation to the child. And then the A is the attunement that we just spoke about, attuning to the child's internal state. And then the D is describing for the child, making sense for them what's going on in their world, right? You wanted your milk. You wanted that toy. You were frightened and you didn't know what to do. So this acronym roadmap is also very helpful in starting to say, well, how do I start, you know, creating or nurturing a secure relationship with my child or really you know, any significant other. Just uh, before we end, it was very interesting. I did I did post the podcast to you guys, but um, in this um, podcast, I heard about a guy speaking about attachment. He had a very interesting idea um, in that there's also attachment to God, you know, into to a higher being. And, and, and that is probably the greatest sense of security and love and embrace that, that you can, you can correct. And, and he was flipping it over and saying, if we get that right, then you can come into the space, into the world, into your relationships in a completely different way. You know, if I know what is happening to me and there's a greater cause and there's a loving God and that there's somebody that is looking after me and what happened to me was supposed to happen to me in a loving space, then you stop that blame game, right? You stop going and say, well, it's your fault and, and you, you stop, you know, playing out for that. And I found that like a really, really interesting and interesting. Well, thing. it almost takes away that fear element also. And allows you to it takes away that fear element and allows you to kind of build that relationship versus being anxious all the time and not allowing the other person in. It's actually quite a quite quite a fascinating a fascinating topic. And one of the other things that I was thinking about where you were saying that um you know there is that that we're hardwired for connectivity. And I'm, spe- I'm speaking now from a spiritual basis and obviously from a, a Judaic basis, but we keep on saying that we're a, a, a portion of godliness, right? We're a chelik and a kami ma'amamish. And what is the soul wanting to do? It's wanting to go back and have that connection because what happened when we came to this world, in a sense, we got disconnected, right? We got enclosed in a strange environment and, you know, we, we live that, this, this anxious life thinking we can control everything. And the day that you, con- you connect back, to your essence of who you are and who you're connected to, then I think that everything comes back. So I think that there's a lot to say around, you know, understanding, uh, un- understanding um, attachment. Is there anything else that you'd like to add that you feel, you know, would benefit our our, our listeners in, in, in this respect? I was just thinking of the idea of repair, and, and Esther spoke about that before, but I think also, you know, in, in parent-child relationships and in adult relationships, the Gottmans who did, you know, all that incredible research on couples said that when they followed those couples who, who were newlyweds over um, 10 years, um, the couples who did the best repaired 86% of the time as opposed to 33% of the time. And I was, like, shocked at that statistic because I thought 33% of, apologizing would be a, you know, a sufficient amount. But clearly it wasn't. <laughs> um, and I think that, you know, when you talk about attunement and you talk about attachment, that I think as human beings, we're going to mess up and we're going to be misaligned and we're going to make mistakes along the way. And repair is often even not knowing that that was that person's need because we're just human beings. And so along the way, if someone has wished for something from you and you weren't able to be there for them, 
the repair process is so healing because it does take us back to that moment and we're able to say, you know, this is what you were hoping for and and I'm sorry, or this is what you're hoping for and next time I'll be able to do it differently. So I think the, the, the awareness that, you know, not all is lost, that any moment repair can happen. This is 101.9 High FM and uh, we're engaging with a very, very interesting topic called attachment. Please stay tuned and hopefully we're going to give you a little bit of a few more resources that you can um, look into to help you along your journey of attachment. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosulski and Fagy Stern. We have a couple of minutes left on our radio show talking to two of my favorite ladies. Uh, Togo, maybe can you um, help our listeners give um, some books maybe that they can look into or, or resources that they can find? And after that, I'm going to ask both of you, should our listeners wish to contact you, how they can. So, Togo, first, let's talk about what books you recommend. Okay, there's so many, but <laughs> you might not have enough time for this. Yeah, okay. So, um, this, this book, this book is called The Power of Attachment by Diane Heller, a book that I just read by Terence Real, which is called Us, an, an, an amazing book um, about friendships and the attachment in friendships is called Platonic by Marissa Franco, which is also a really amazing book. And um, Bruce Perry's books, I really can't recommend them enough. Esther, do you have any books that you recommend, particularly maybe more for parents? So, so I agree with Toby and all the books in Conscious Discipline and, and Dr. Becky's book, Dr. Good Inside. Um, Good Inside. Um, I highly recommend that. And I also think, I mean, people who prefer to listen to podcasts, there's so many brilliant, brilliant podcasts. Again, Dr. Becky, she recently did on with Glennon Doyle, which is the podcast We Can Do Hard Things, an excellent chat on attachment. Um, you mentioned the one. I don't, I don't know exactly what that, that podcast was called. And then I think that's a good start. Is that if people want to get hold of you, how can they? Um, I think the best way, probably Instagram, the holistic educationist or the holistic educationist at gmail.com. Great. And Tova? I work at a practice called Psych Central in Ravonia, and if you Google, even as soon as you put in Psych, not even Psychologist Psych Central will come up, so <laughs> you can find me there. <laughs> Top of the list. <laughs> Top of the list. Well, there you have it. Um, I think that this is an important conversation and a conversation that needs to be had time and time and time again, kind of like just recalibrating our compass and allowing us to look at things um, in, a, in, in a completely different way than perhaps the way that, you know, we've been brought up. And I really thank both of you again for your time, for your expertise. We love having you on. We'll have another radio show for sure um, in the near future. And thank you again, always, Faggy, for the organization and the putting of everything together. I know that I'm securely attached, but I couldn't do this. <laughs> 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 thank you so much everybody. for having us. For having us, guys. Thank you, guys. You show, and this is 101.9 High FM.